we got the alternative energy right. free autonomy and welcome to the radioactive show produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the community radio network hello and welcome to the radioactive show produced at my home on unceded Wurundjeri lands for 3CR in Nam Melbourne I pay my respects to Wurundjeri elders past and present and welcome all First Nations people listening today. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. The Radioactive Show is brought to you with the support of the ACE Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth. My name is AC. Today I'm excited to introduce you to a little-known organisation that's doing some very important work. I've delved into the internet archives to find this interview between Joy Ito, Sean Bonner and Peter Franken the co-founders of SafeCast, a citizen science organisation that formed in response to the Fukushima nuclear disaster. At the time of the disaster, information on local radiation levels was scarce, but their organisation combined a crowdsourcing approach with cutting-edge and easily sourced technology to quickly begin monitoring, collecting and openly sharing information on environmental radiation. They now have a global network that provides open, accurate and unbiased environmental data on radiation levels and have expanded their monitoring to include air quality. This interview took place in 2016 and originally aired on Joy's Conversations podcast, which I've linked to in the Radioactive Show website. The interview begins with Peter Franken speaking with Joy Ito about how the organisation started. Over five years ago, after the Fukushima uh, nuclear disaster happened. You know, we all uh, were very worried about our families and what was happening. And very quickly, we started to worry about what radia- radiation levels are. And when we went on the internet and we went on television and we, we tried to look for it, we, we had a very hard time get any data. And uh, not just data from Fukushima, but just data from anywhere in Japan. So we started to look around for that information, couldn't find it. Then we tried to buy Geiger counters uh, to measure ourselves, and in 24 hours, all Geiger counters were were sold out. So we didn't have uh, any means to to do things on our own. So we, you know, ideas like crowdsourcing, where lots of people with Geiger counters didn't work out. Lead time for Geiger counters went from six to 12 months. So then we started to really, uh, you know, we brought lots of people together uh, with your great help, and we started to think through what can we do here from Tokyo, and uh, we basically. Uh, looked at Google and we said if we can do something like Google Street View where we can drive around with a Geiger counter we can maybe uh, maximize the use of the very few Geiger counters we actually got by the time and that's what we did we built equipment uh, we went to Tokyo Hackerspace went, met people like Akiba and others and we started to put things together and in about a week's time we had a, a kind of a mobile Geiger counter that you could put on a car and it kind of kind of looked like this you know it's kind of a you know kind of a big bento uh, you know, lunchbox with a Geiger counter in it, and uh, we started to, you know, you can see that here. This is the actual Geiger counter that sits into the box, and we started to drive this around in Fukushima, and that's how we started SafeCast by collecting our own data and putting that on the internet. Well, the, the key thing is, is we used open hardware and open software like Arduino's uh, mm-hmm. to put the system together, and uh, so initially we we built. Uh, lots of these systems by hand here in Tokyo, and uh, and and that really got us going to start mapping out. And what we were starting to see from the data that came back from Fukushima was that, uh, opposed to what you know what what we heard from the government, 
that the pollution was contained to a 20 kilometer perfect circle. Uh, it was all the way up uh, 100 kilometers away from the power plant, and it was very spotty. So you couldn't really tell the radiation level uh, by measuring literally everything around you because you could be in a, in a low area here, but a block a block away, the, the radiation levels would go up. So, uh, And as we started to meet lots of people in Fukushima, they were basically very worried about where they were living, and they didn't get any information around you know, around their neighborhoods. So we started to make the plan to measure everything, uh, every single street in Japan. And uh, that's what we uh, went out to do. And we used um, we used lots of uh, uh, the kind of the power of the, of, of the people themselves, rather than us. Like if you think about Google Street Map, you know, they decide where they're going to drive around. We turn that around and we gave people devices and people decided where they wanted to measure. I mean, basically where it mattered most to them. And that's how we started to get lots of data, increasingly more data from Fukushima, and we started to build up our radiation map. And um, I, I remember at, in the early days, uh, the government was not very helpful, and the media rarely even referred to us. And uh, I think online, um, people were kind of criticizing us because we were uh, amateurs and that... Uh, and, and in fact, we didn't really know what we were doing. <laughs> but, but I think what was interesting, I think, was because we just, whenever anybody criticized us, not whenever, but in many cases, we would just co-opt them. We would say, well, then it's kind of like Wikipedia where you say, this is wrong. You say, well, why don't you help us fix it? And then I think what's really amazing to me is the extent to which, you know, you guys have uh, really pulled in a lot of the people who are the professionals and uh and and you know maybe Sean you can talk about the thing that you did in in Washington DC i mean you, we we we're bringing in some of the world's experts and letting them play and then they have fun and before they know it they were sort of part of our team part of this is that you know we're trying to get everybody to understand this and and i think that the data that we started getting back from from our devices um looked very different um than the data that people were used to seeing not not because it was reporting different things, but people were used to seeing these really, really kind of averages um, of really wide areas. And our data was was very precise and, and tied to individual GPS points. So um, people were very interested to look at it. And that was actually a really good hook for us to, to bring in some of these other professionals because they were used to staring at these data sets where everything was kind of averaged out over the large areas. And so having a new a new way to look at the same kind of data that they had had previously was very interesting for them. And, and we were sh we've been sort of uh, professing a lot about how with the very few people, we can get lots of data back. You know, you don't need uh, every single person to collect it. A very few people can carry these devices around and, um, and get lots of data. So we've, hold, we've held a lot of these workshops. Um, so the one we did in, in Washington, D.C. Um, was a collaboration with the uh, uh, NRDC, the uh, Natural Re Resources Defense Council. It's a a big environmental uh, protection group in in the U.S. that does a lot of litigation to try to uh, uh, keep keep the environment safe in a lot of ways. They're kind of watchdogs on uh, on things. So we um we had a an event at their office where we invited lots of people, kind of pro nuclear, anti nuclear, um, pro policy, anti nuclear policy, all kinds of people into the office and talked about what we were doing. And then we actually had them build bigagis themselves with hand. So they started off in the morning with a a desk full of parts, and by the end of the day, they had their own Geiger counters, and um, and then we sent them out around the city. And we didn't have any any data from Washington D.C. at all before that, 
Um, and then so they went out just for a few hours and walked around the city and then we published all that information on our maps. And after we published it, one of the attendees was was uh, from the the NNSA. So they're they're the people that are usually monitoring radiation levels all around and and keeping track of that stuff. And um, so they had data, but they they had previously kept it locked up as as kind of a national secret. Um, and then once we published our data, uh, then there was no reason for them to keep that stuff uh, private anymore. And they were able to post the the measurements they had on their own website as well. Um, and show the correlation between what we had and what they had. Um, and it was quite interesting because even once they were able to publish their data, there were still uh, sections that are kind of blocked out um, in their in their data, you know, for sort of national security purposes, right? So just kind of arbitrary locations, right? Like around the White House or something. Um, but as the as a member of the general public with a Geiger counter in your hand, you can walk right up. So our 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 data. Um, covers more ground um, than what they were able to to release with theirs. That was Sean Bonner, co-founder of Safecast, explaining how their data is going beyond what has been previously monitored and has encouraged the release of existing information on radiation levels by government agencies in the US. Next, Peter Franken describes expanding their network to include stationary monitoring sites near Fukushima. Uh, you know, we, st- we started out with these type of devices that we drive around uh, uh, and it basically automatically measures radiation. But over the last two years, we also have built uh, systems that are stationary. So we, they basically broadcast 24 by 7 uh, radiation levels uh, from all over the world. But we, all, we have a few sensors that are that are positioned within Fukushima and some of them relatively near to the plant. Um, so you can actually go on that. It is, uh, it's on our, on our website. You can find a link. And... Uh, uh, so what happened is, is when the tsunami was uh, about to hit the, the Fukushima plant two weeks ago, uh, we started to talk about that people could follow uh, the radiation levels live, and uh, we, we built a system for you know for that purpose that if there is something, people can get that information uh, uh, from somebody independent. And obviously, you know, five years ago, nothing was available, so we were in the position to uh, broadcast the levels. We were monitoring it uh, 24 by 7. The thing that uh, stru- you know really caught us by surprise was that just the sheer amount of volume we got on our website. And at some point, our server went down for about an hour or so. Uh, and after that, we, we got it back again after you know we got everybody together to look at what, what wasn't working. Just, just, just a moment. I think you, you put up something else. And maybe I can provide commentary on that very quickly because I saw somebody was commenting that during the disaster, uh, you know, there was no information on national news channels and actually what you're looking at is actually a picture I took of the tele broadcast in April of 2011 and it's in Japanese but for those of not in the know that the radiation levels there you're per prefecture you know prefecture has a couple of million to tens of millions of people there's only one value available and the uh, the label on top of television actually says this is the radiation report and that is pasted over Fukushima prefecture so there where the disaster is, is no information, no levels, no <laughs> nothing. And and this is literally was the day before I drove up with, with our you know, with the with, with the with the Geiger counter system we had built to go and check out and I just wanted to know, you know, is this a good or bad idea? And uh, we had no idea. And and I think the next thing you're showing is the uh, uh, is the radiation map that we have collected so far. Uh, the colors kind of uh, indicate the levels, uh, darker blue uh, uh, indicates uh, kind of normal background radiation levels, and you can see where it gets red, yellow, and white. That is where uh, you know where the radio 
<clears throat> radiation levels go up and specifically are still even today quite high around the nuclear power plant. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. Now, I was just going to say also, I remember when they were first showing it, they were just showing these concentric rings of, uh, for evacuation. But when you look at the data, actually, it shows that, you know, the wind has sort of created this swirl. And I remember some people were being evacuated from places that had lower radiation to maybe, this is not common, but in some cases, high radiation. And then I live, my house is in Chiba, right around one of those little red spots, kind of down south a little bit. So we had this little mini hotspot where the humidity and the weather just brought in um, the cesium into our area. And what was, you know, and I think what was also kind of scary about all of this was with all of the experts and all of the planning, they knew that radiation just doesn't emit itself and move around in concentric rings, that, that, that they have weather forecasts and stuff like that. But um, either they were hiding it or they just didn't know to talk about it. They didn't really explain it all. Um, obviously, you know, it, it would have been difficult to have this much granularity in the evacuation um, uh, planning, but it was uh, it, it's just sort of the misinformation or the ignorance was quite stunning. I, I think, Joey, one, one of the one of the big problems that happened in you know after the uh, after the Fukushima explosions happened was that the authorities sent people evacuated people from low areas to higher areas. And uh, you know, there's there's been lots of uh, you know there's been lots of uh, documentation on really what happened and why the information wasn't public. But uh, the whole point of safeguards is to make that information public right away, so that we can make our own decisions, uh, in you know, or can verify that you know is this is what is happening here. Mm -hmm. And I think today uh, things have come, come a little bit better. But even today, we're we're kind of the only organization uh, in existence that is doing this. I was going to say that it's worth it's worth noting um, in at, at the original earthquake, uh, you know, it was several days before there was any confirmation that there was radiation leaking, you know, from any official sources, and then even evacuations took weeks, uh, you know, before any of that started happening. And so um, the uh, you know the earthquake the other day really showed that our proof of concept of building out this network, we were able to keep people updated as to what, what readings were coming in from our static sensors right next yeah. to the plant up to the minute on Twitter, we were posting the information um, and, and that almost six years on, nobody else was doing it. Like, as Peter said, like, you know, there's, there's been all of this time and lots of people who sort of jumped on to talk about this stuff early on, but they kind of all stopped doing something. Whereas we actually built out the system yeah. and, and it's working. There was Sean Bonner, co-founder of SafeCast, noting that five years after the Fukushima disaster in 2016, their organization was the only one that had a functioning network that continued to monitor and openly publish radiation readings in Japan at the local level. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, created for 3CR and distributed across so-called Australia on the Community Radio Network. This coming week is the Radiothon at 3CR, where we ask our listeners to help us power the station for another year with your tax-deductible donations. We'll have a live show next week, but if you want to get in early, you can make a donation on our GiveNow page. Go to www.givenow.com.au and pop Radioactive Show in their keyword search bar to find our online donations page. Or you can call the station to make a donation on 03-9419-8377 and invest in a radical, independent community voice on our airways. 
Next, we hear from Peter Franken, speaking about how people have come to trust the data that Safecast provides. It's very important. I think how we started was we just wanted to know what what was happening and getting the facts right. And as you mentioned, we have had many dialogues over the last five years with many groups, not only in, with Japanese government, but Sean was mentioning we've been talking with uh, counterparts in, in other uh, governments, including uh, IEA and, and the US uh, EPA, etc. And the key thing is, is that one thing is, is we do, we measure independently environmental data, radiation levels. We publish that. We are very serious about it. We try to do as good job as possible with, by using everybody that is in our group, all people on the ground. And uh, that builds up a natural trust. You know, if you have a cold and you want to know if you have a temperature or not, you just measure it yourself. But if somebody walks over and says, Peter, don't worry, you know, you don't, you know, you're going to be fine, but you're not measuring it, you don't feel comfortable. So you, you want to verify. So that's what we do. We verify for ourselves to understand better what is happening. So what is happening with the, with the Japanese government is, is that from day one, they lost trust. And they still, I think, as of today, have a major trust issue. And... Uh, they, the, the big issue is is that if you have a big disaster like this, you know, first of all, I don't think governments have the tools or, or mechanisms to deal with that uh, at the ground level. So it is in a way what we what we try to do is is to bring everybody together, empower everybody to be part of that. But also, uh, in, in order to rebuild that trust, they came to us and say, you know, can can you can we uh, get help in and how do you do that? You know, and, and what we are being telling is, you do that by having everybody participate and not making it a secret or not tell people uh, that, you know, don't worry about things. You know, you, you have to start saying that, is my street safe? Can I measure my own street? Can I confirm that? What does it mean? How does it work? And I think those processes are, uh, uh, you know, we, we had similar discussions with IEA and et cetera. And so far, the, the stance has been is, is we broadcast information and there is no, uh, there, there is no context uh, to work in. And um, I think, you know, we're, we're still having those dialogues. I think, as you mentioned, some things have improved. We have seen uh, Japanese government, uh, to a larger extent, copy the way we're, we're measuring and trying to, to do that. But I think there's many, you know, many steps left to, to work on. Uh, I think when the disaster happened uh, two weeks ago, when, you know, two weeks ago, it had tsunami. Fortunately enough, it didn't cause a, a major issue. But uh, I think at that time, we were still the only ones that could tell you the exact level at that point in time. So I think we, you know, more more work to do. But I think also with radiation measurement, what's really important is, is that we didn't go out to find, uh, desperately to go look for the highest level we could measure. Uh, we measure everything, you know, every single street in Japan from Hokkaido up to, up to Okinawa has been measured. And it's all about, you know, local level, what is really happening. This is not a news channel where we're trying to uh, create panic news uh, about hotspots only. Uh, you know, the ho there's lots of people who live in neighborhoods that absolutely have no problem whatsoever in Fukushima Prefecture. Uh, why would you uh, change your whole life if there's nothing uh, nothing that really happened? So, and that is, I think the government had a real issue is, is that didn't go out and measured everything. So they left lots of people worrying about their neighborhoods, not having the tools to measure it, which could have been a very different thing if they would have had all the tools in place to do it. Sorry, Joe. Yeah, and I think I, I think this one thing that I wanted to point out is, as far as I, I remember, I think more people became, and, and I think I'm glad that we changed the name to Safecast, but because I think, you know, I remember stories of, of people having these hazmat suits coming to their house to measure the radiation. And the government would say, well, we can't tell you the data because it's not part of our protocol. So you get these people all bundled up measuring your house and then walking away. And when we would go with our people, 
we would share the data and we would show what parts like the cesium stuck to the roof. So the room at the top where the kids is hotter than the room downstairs. So maybe you should move them. And there's a pile of cesium by your drain. Let's help you move that out. But also just generally, I think people were happier and felt safer after they got the radiation data because in, in most cases, it wasn't as bad as you imagined, you know, and I think that that protocol that the government had of just collecting the data and not really sharing it and, and, and not allowing the people in the field to be that helpful, I think, especially at the beginning, I, I think they, you know, obviously started changing their protocol, but, but I think that most people felt better after they got their data than scared, you know, and I think that that, that, that was important too. Yeah, so there's actually um, a, there was actually a, a group from Harvard that that took our our data, and they had a bunch of data from uh, that they had mined from social media uh, to determine stress levels of people at different times based on what they were talking about and how stressed out they were, um, and correlated that to to news reports of what was going on, and then they were able to take our data and and see when we release things and how that impacted stuff, and they were able to show that um, stress levels uh, across the board dropped when people had data, even if it showed something negative, because then they at least had something concrete and then they could make decisions. And regardless of what was actually contaminated or not, when people didn't have data, their stress was through the roof. That was Sean Bonner speaking about how providing accurate data on radiation levels to people in Japan following the Fukushima disaster actually reduced stress, even where high levels were recorded. You've been listening to The Radioactive Show, sharing an interview from the founders of SafeCast, Joy Ito, Sean Bonner, and Peter Franken, which originally was published on Joy's Conversation podcast in 2016. There's a link to the original interview on our website, where you'll also find our previous Radioactive Show podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. That's it for today. You've been listening to The Radioactive Show. Produced for 3CR at my home in Nam, Melbourne, and broadcast across these stolen lands known as Australia through the Community Radio Network. If you want to get in touch with us, please call the 3CR office on 03 9419 8377. Thanks for listening, and here's to a nuclear free future.